everyone, welcome back to the Global Lean Leadership Summit 2019 in beautiful Riverside, California. Okay, everybody give Peter a hand. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Like Rick said, I'm Peter Larson. I work at FastCap, and the topic of my presentation today is good leadership changes lives. And I want to illustrate this point through a story, uh, my story. So 27 years ago, I was born in Seoul, South Korea, the capital city. My biological mother was, uh, she was very young when she had me. She was unmarried. I, I was born illegitimate. And so she had a decision to make. She decided to give me up for adoption. I was in foster care for a, a few months. Um, that's me. Doesn't that look like me? That's my foster mother, actually, taking me to the airport in this picture. So five months later, I'm adopted. I'm on the move. I'm flying over the Pacific Ocean to Bellingham, Washington, which is about 90 miles north of Seattle. It's in uh, Whatcom County, the Pacific Northwest. On the east side of the county, you have the Cascade Mountains, Mount Baker. And on the west side of the county, you have the Pacific Ocean. If you've ever been to FastCap, that's, that's Whatcom County. It's a beautiful area. About 10 miles north of Bellingham is a small town called Linden. Linden has a population of about 15,000 people. Back in 1992, it was about maybe 10,000. Very small town, which is, a dramatic different, dif which is a dramatic difference from Seoul, which is a population of about 10 million. It was very unique at that time that a family was adopting kids. And it was more unique in this time and place that families were adopting kids from Korea. My family was one of the first families that were adopting kids from Asia. I have three older sisters. They were all adopted as well. Uh, my parents, John and Jackie, are, are two of the, the greatest people that you'll ever meet. Linden is a, a very classic small town, right? So, so everything was closed on Sunday. Everyone went to church. Everybody knew each other. Everyone waved to each other. And uh, Linden was a primarily Dutch community. And so among my tall, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed peers, there was me. Short, black hair, brown eyes. You know, I, I stuck out. It was easy to spot me in a crowd. And I was very aware that I, I was different. And I was constantly reminded that I was different. And I, I, I somehow got it in my mind early on that I just, I needed acceptance. I needed acceptance from these people around me. It was, it was something that was a priority to me. So I was somewhat of a chameleon all growing up, all going, going through grade school and high school. I was, just, I was just craving this acceptance. And I would do whatever it take to get it at the expense of myself. I went, I went through the first 20 some years of my life not knowing who I, Peter Larson, was. With adoption comes some psychological and mental challenges that you have to address. And the challenge was the thought that my own biological mother who brought me into this world didn't want me. And with that void came this sort of frustration like, I didn't ask for this. You brought me into this world, sort of this, this victim mentality. And I had this void. And, and from an early age, I was trying to fill this void with anything that I could. Going in high school, I was still craving acceptance from the wrong people, right? So on the weekends, the cool kids were partying. They were drinking. They were smoking weed. So I was drinking. I was smoking weed. I was doing all these things. I was very angry in high school. To make a long story short, drug use in my life began very early. When I was 14 or 15 years old, I began messing around with painkillers. 17 years old, when I was introduced to methamphetamines. 
My life was about to take a serious detour at this point. Methamphetamines, opiates, cocaine, MDMA, benzos, synthetics, you name it. I'm shoving all of these things into my body. At a young, I'm 17 years old, I'm in high school. I barely get through high school. I'm a C, C average, maybe. I get accepted to a public university in Eastern Washington. And as it turns out, these substances are far easier to find at a public university than they were in small town Linden. And every single day, day by day that's going by, I'm handing my life and control of my mind over to these substances. Second year of college rolls around. I barely get through the first year. Second year of college rolls around, and all of these problems in my life are coming to a head. My mental state is in a very dark place. I'm still handing my life over. I'm in a hopeless situation to these substances. Things got so bad that my parents had to drive across the state in the middle of the night just to make sure that I was safe, that I was alive and okay. And when I say rock bottom, I mean that I had finally found a place where there was nothing in here. There was nothing. Everything that I kept shoving into that void just made it bigger. I didn't even feel like, I remember looking out at a row of trees and thinking, where did the color go? Everything was, was dull, was gray. I ended up having to drop out of college. I was about to flunk out, so I dropped out, right? And so I moved back home with my parents. I'm 21, 22 years old, I dropped out. I go back to work for, the, for my employer that I worked for in high school. He owned a raspberry field because Whatcom County is a large exporter of raspberries, but he also owned an industrial service company that he contracted out to all the local oil refineries, BP, Cherry Point, Tesoro, Conoco, P66. And basically an industrial service company is a janitor, janitor service for the refinery. So if there's hazardous material that needs to be moved from one end of the refinery, if there's a unit that's getting shut down for maintenance, we would go in, clean this unit of all the hazardous material, all that, and get rid of it so that workers could come and save. It was a horrible job. I remember watching micro dirty jobs thinking, man, this guy should come here. He would, I mean, it was an awful job, and worse than that, it was an awful work environment. And so I'm back home, I'm a college dropout, I'm still using, I'm working this dead-end job that I hate with a horrible work environment, a hopeless work environment. And I remember thinking like, is this it? Is this what life is going to be? And I was at this crossroads. I, I had hated what I was doing at this point. I no longer enjoyed using these substances. I was more scared of what would happen if I stopped. Finally, my parents come to me. My dad says, look, you can't do this anymore. You have to live. Combined with the frustration and guilt and shame that I was already feeling, I thought, yep, you're right. It's time. I don't know how, but I'm going to get better. I'm going to get clean. I'm looking, at public, I'm looking at private rehabilitation options. It's about $10,000, $15,000. I couldn't afford that. I was already in debt $30,000 from the two-year party that I had attended at Eastern. So I decided that I'm going to get clean up my parents' house. It was the dead of winter. I'm going through withdrawals. I'm detoxing at my parents' house. I get through it. I make it to the other side. My mind is getting clear. I'm getting control of my life day by day. And I decide I need a new job because this job is going to push me to relapse. It was that bad. I printed off one resume in this job search. I stopped at one company. And that company was FastCap. I didn't know anything about FastCap. I didn't know Paul, I didn't know Leanne. I didn't know what they did. I didn't know, I'd never heard terms of lean or Kaizen, none of it. I just showed up. And I remember walking to the door at FastCap and I see Sandy and Alicia Freeberg. 
And these are, it's mother and daughter from the high school community that I was at. And I thought, great, like, it's over. Before it even starts, it's over. But I meet Leanne. And Leanne says, you know, we're not really hiring right now. But why don't you come back in a couple weeks and just meet Paul, just meet with him. I said, all right, I can do that. A couple weeks go by. I'm, I'm thinking to myself the day before I meet Paul, like, I'm a college dropout. I'm barely not a drug addict. What, how am I marketable? What kind of life am I going to have? And I felt, again, this hopeless feeling. But I go to FastCap the next day, and I meet Paul. And I hand Paul my resume, which is about half of a page after some clever spacing and margins. <laughs> and I hand Paul my resume, and it's, that, it's the instant that I hand it to him where I realized what I had pretty much put on this resume. College dropout. Eastern Washington, this state to this state, no degree earned. I'm thinking, you idiot. Why did you even print out resume? You had nothing to put on it. But Paul looks at that resume, looks it over, he says, wow, you've been at your last company for a long time. For somebody your age, that shows that you have a lot of loyalty. And I'm thinking like, whew, he missed that whole college dropout part, which I don't think he did, but so we get to talking a little bit longer. And I'm getting this sense that Paul, this guy wants me to work for his company. And he asked me, can you, can you do a test date right now? Can you work for the rest of the afternoon? I said, yeah, I can do it. I can work. He says, great. And then he said something. He said, wait here. I got to go talk to Colby. Colby's his son. I got to go talk to Colby because I think you could be great. And I had never heard this before. And he left, and these words are echoing. I had a reputation. I came from a small town. I knew what people were saying about me. I was very aware of it. Most of it was true. But hearing Paul tell me that, it changed everything. I was ready. If I was on the fence about being ready, no more. I was ready. And so I started working at FastCap. And I remember walking through grocery for the first time at FastCap and seeing all these boxes faced off. And I remember seeing all these, the hyper-organization and everything had rhyme and reason and purpose for being in this facility. And I thought about m my own life and how much of a dramatic contrast it was to this perfect, seemingly perfect environment. And it was so impactful. It was like this, it was like this breath of fresh air, this, this peace, just being in this building. I had to see a company like Facet to believe that companies like this existed. The company that I'd come from, totally the opposite of this, not even close. I had to see it to believe it. It's the, it's the same concept as, as those GM leaders that knew me. Those GM leaders that knew me flew to Japan, and they saw something when they were in Japan. They felt something, and they said, I want that. I want that for myself, and I want that for my company. So a new standard was set in my life. The old standard in life, the bar was so low I could have tripped over it. I was tripping over it. By the time I was 20 years old, I would lost two friends to heroin. I would lost two more friends to suicide. This was what my reality was. This was normal until I saw something different. And I was a part of the fast cap culture every single day. And I stood in that morning meeting every single day. And I was learning something. And I was using my mind. And I was getting control of my mind. If you want to change your life, change your mind and I'm growing, and I'm solving problems, and innovating, and creating things. And I'm in an environment that says, if there's something in this process that you don't like that's bad, fix it. it is, I give you full authority to fix that problem. And to me, that is the highest level of what it means to be a human being, is to look at your environment, to look at your surroundings, and say, that could be improved. That's not good enough, and fixing it, and doing something about it. 
couple years after being at FASCA for a while, Paul takes me with him to St. Louis, to the Global Lead Leadership Summit. And it was an amazing week. And I remember that Philippe was on stage and he was presenting, and Philippe was presenting about extreme ownership of your own actions, of your own self, of being brutally honest with yourself. And I just remember sitting there having this sort of cathartic experience. And I just, it was at that moment that Philippe was presenting where I realized that all these things that I had used to, to, to blame everything that was going wrong in my life, you know, this person, this situation, none of it was good enough. None of it could measure up any longer. I was the problem. But on the other side of this, I was the solution. It was like I was stuck in this car for the last five years in a horrible place and nothing, wanting nothing more than to just get out of there. Wanting somebody to just hop in that car and drive it away. But when I heard Philippe talking and when I saw him present, it was like looking down and realizing that the keys were in my hand the whole time and all I had to do was start that car and drive away. A couple weeks after that, I'm on a plane to Japan. I'm on a study mission and I see Toyota, and I see Mifune, as you can see in the picture, and I see all these amazing companies. But do you know where the most impactful moment of this whole trip came? It was a public bathroom. Now, I want you to think, when you see that blue rest area sign, what pops into your head? Something pretty savage, right? These are places you don't want to stop unless you absolutely have to. But this public bathroom that I saw in Japan, and what you're seeing here, it was immaculate. It was perfect. FastCap has nice bathrooms. These didn't even compare. And I thought about it, and I thought, nobody's making money off of these bathrooms. No, nobody's profiting from these. These bathrooms, this rest area, exists to serve society. And the more I observed this in Japan, this idea of outward thinking, of being aware of what you're taking in and what your output is, the more I realized that it just, got heavy on me. My life up to this point had been full, it was valueless. In fact, I was stealing value from those around me because of my actions and my decisions, family and friends. And I decided that no more. I will add value to those around me. On the way home from Japan, we had a, a flight, a layover in Seoul. And Paul and Leanne, scheduled three day, a three-day layover for me. I'd never been back. And I remember being in Seoul for the first time and, you know, seeing every five-foot-two, 50-year-old woman thinking, like, maybe, you know? But I really started to think about it. And I thought, she gave me up for adoption so that I could have a better life. That's right. And not just that I could have a better life, but when I thought that she would have a better life, not having this. My whole, pers my whole perspective on this changed. If you want to change your mind, change your perspective. And it was at this point where I wanted nothing more than to just live a life that she would say, you did it. You didn't waste this opportunity. Everyone here in this room has experienced and witnessed the benefits of lean firsthand. Lean provides value to our customers. Lean reduces waste, frees up room for innovation. Lean does this and so much more. But what I'm really here to suggest to you today is that lean, when done at a high level, 
When the leaders of our companies are focused on the development of our people, Lean can take somebody's life like mine and turn it around by just existing. When I came into FastCap, I couldn't even take care of myself. Five years later, I'm a leader at FastCap. When I came into FastCap, I felt I had no value, that I had no skills, I had nothing to offer. Five years later, I'm responsible for the production of the largest account that FastCap has ever seen. When I came into FastCap, I was a drug addict. I was a, the lowest functioning member of society. And now I'm on stage talking in front of you all, sharing my story. FastCap is a product development company. I am a product of the culture that FastCap has built, a culture where leadership values developing their people. Leaders in this room, have you considered the impact that your leadership has? If we at our companies can focus on the development of our people, the impact that we will have will far transcend the four walls of our companies. Good leadership changes lives. Thank you. Thank you. Questions for Peter. Hi, Nathan from Fireblast. I had a question about when you first met Paul, how did you uh, get the confidence to walk up to someone like him? And how did you keep the confidence when you first started uh, FastCap? I really didn't have any confidence when I started at FastCap, to be honest. I was coming off of all of that and, but you know, Paul just, it, it was when he looked at that resume, right? That, that pitiful resume. And he said, wow, you've been at your last company for a long time, that shows you have loyalty. And I was like, huh, that made me think. But then right when he said, I think you could be great, like I had never heard that before. And that, that gave me confidence, just meeting him one time. And then I was, I was ready, you know, but. Peter, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. My question is entirely selfish. Is there anything that your adoptive parents could have done to make you feel valuable the way that Paul did? It just took me processing all of that, all of those barriers that came with adoption to, to understand like, wow, these people are amazing. Like these people, they gave up a lot so they could bring me to the United States that I would have a, a chance at a better life. And it just took growing. It took changing my mind about things to really just, but when I look back at how my adoptive parents handled the situation, I'm so, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they let me struggle as much as they did, that they gave me the opportunity to fail, that they gave me the opportunity to grow because you can only have growth through failure, through, through hard things. And so for that, I'm grateful. But now, our relationship, my relationship with my adoptive parents couldn't be better. It just took growing. It took maturing. Thank you. Um, might be a little hard for me to say this. Um, I have an adopted son. 
from Korea, who came when he was five months old. Oh. And he's 27. <laughs> and his name is Peter. <laughs> and he went through a similar story, maybe not to the same depths as you did, but dropped out of college and had to restart his life. And it was only through working at Steelcase, through a lean manufacturing environment, that he found some of what you found. And so I just wanted to thank you for having the courage to get up there and tell your story. Of course, Tim, thanks. My heart was so nervous that made me think that I need to say something. I come from Taiwan. It was a very poor country in the beginning. I guess that time, a lot of people are poor. And I really see Americans come to Taiwan that time in Japanese. We, I said that yesterday already. Japanese teach us the industrial. American has so much to offer to Taiwan that time. Anyway, now I can see that to everybody. But I think uh, I see a lot of American people adopt the children all over the world. That is really, really make, being a mother, then I feel like Americans are great. And I really appreciate American. And now I have the, the print in China. And a lot of time I see a lot of American, 10 or 15 or 12 group of Americans adopt the Chinese baby. They carry home with, it's just a baby. And a lot of them are some problem, handicapped or whatever. And America has so much love to love those people, those children, that is really had nothing to do with you in the beginning. And I really want to say thank you for American. Thank you very much, Peter, for sharing your story with all of us. Paul, fantastic, fantastic. And you know, I mean, you're developing people, you're developing fantastic speakers, Peter, but a fantastic job at, at speaking also, so um, yeah.